0: Hello, this is Elizabeth Spring from NorthNodeAstrology.com. As most of you know, I'm a counseling astrologer with a background in the work of Carl Jung. I've been a professional astrologer since 1992 and written five books. And today I'm going to do something a little different on this show. Usually we talk about the nodes, the planets, and so forth. But today I'd like to treat you to... Story. It's part two, and it's from my book, Saturn Returns The Private Papers of a Reluctant Astrologer, which is about two women, age 29 and 59, who are each going through their Saturn returns. And although the book is uh, basically a novel, an astrological novel. You learn a lot of astrology along the way. And the last section of the book is the nonfiction section, which describes Saturn in each of the signs and gives some advice with how to deal with these Saturn returns, which truly aren't bad in themselves. They're they're turning points. And if you can handle change, you will probably do quite well during these transits. So the story is about Isabel, a self-described reluctant astrologer at the age of 59. And it's also about an elusive woman um, who is age 29, also going through her second Saturn return. And this is the second chapter of the book, I read the first chapter last time. So, if you're just tuning in, you might want to go back and listen to the previous podcast. They're just, uh, you know, about 15 minute clips from the two to give you a flavor of what is happening um, with this woman Isabel, who is making a big change in her life, uh, leaving her Newport, Rhode Island, for Boston, where she used to live in her 20s, and I won't tell you any more of the story. But here is part two, and you can pick up here, or you can listen to the other one. Bye for now. Chapter two from The Private Papers of a Reluctant Astrologer. From Saturn Returns, The Private Papers of a Reluctant Astrologer. Quote, And then the knowledge comes to me that I have space within me for a second, timeless, larger life, unquote, Rilke. It took longer to get to Beacon Hill than I'd hoped. I circled around the hotel looking for a parking spot until I remembered I could park underneath the Boston Commons. I descended into the parking lot, circled around again, and got out, heaving my one large bag over my shoulder. My glazed eyes met other glazed eyes as I walked through the garage and across the park. I wished I felt safe. I wished the familiarity of a place held me more. But all I could do was shiver. I was simply a single woman walking alone at night in a city. I couldn't tell at first glance if the hotel was quaint or a bit seedy. Too late for that now, I thought, so I put on my matter-of-fact professional persona and checked in. It might as well have been a mental hospital because I was barely there. Disassociated, that is. The clerk yelled loudly to a bored-looking young porter, Isabel Cocroft, room 311. He startled me. Isabel Cocroft, room 311, he repeated louder, awakening me and the porter. So this is who I am now, a middle-aged woman looking to stay for an indefinite period of time at a questionable hotel. The porter threw my bag on his shoulder and showed me to the room. I gave him a couple of dollars and hoped for a smile in return, but he pulled out his cell phone before even closing the door. I looked at the room and looked down at my feet. I felt a little dizzy. Who was this Isabel now? the one standing alone in this room, the one who felt like she was losing her mind. Certainly Peter Cocroft would be thinking she'd be staying for one night only and would be returning to Rhode Island and resuming her normal life tomorrow. But there was no Peter Cocroft here, only this Isabel Cocroft of room 311, who was checking in for a week because she just didn't know what else to do. What was happening Where was Isabel, the mother of Sophie, and the loyal Mrs. Isabel Cocroft? Who was this good mother now that her only child was barely out of college? I sighed and gritted my teeth. A little anger can be good fuel for action, I thought. But who is this person who is now authoring this chapter of my life? Was I still the same person as the 24-year-old Isabel who once knew all the back streets of Beacon Hill and loved strolling through the Boston Public Garden? Where was the Isabel who used to wear her blonde hair tied in a loose bun on top of her head and had once had a thriving astrology business right down there on Charles Street? I snapped out of my reverie and looked cursily at the expensive tiny room. Black, white, chrome, modern, Mm, totally not me, minimal decor and maximum function. I turned around and walked out. I wasn't going to sit there alone. It had been two years ago that I had walked by this tiny hotel and wondered what it would be like to stay here. Now I knew. I closed the door with a snap, hurried down the stairs, and flew out into the street. The little white lights of the Christmas season were twinkling on the trees and shops, and the snow had stopped. The trees were drooping down languorously under the weight of the winter snow, and the benches in the public garden looked like they were buried under memories long gone. I didn't pause to look at anyone or anything till I could see the hill and the busy corner of Charles and Beacon Street. Beacon Hill is a city within a city. The oldest part of Boston, its brick and brownstone buildings clustered together on a hill beside the Charles River. Its narrow streets and well-tended to- doorways and window boxes give it a cared-for look, and one could argue that its gentrification was a bad thing or a good thing, but the hill itself ma- maintains its own character, a kind of stony tenaciousness that never changes too much. The locals, as well as the visitors, merge seamlessly along its narrow streets and alleyways, And the hill is home to both students and working people. The public garden is its pearl, and its magnolia trees and rose gardens in the spring, and its old-fashioned street lamps and skating pond in the winter. I love how the streets around it are named after moods, like Joy Street. Or nature, Acorn Street, or historical figures like Revere Street. I love how the old swampland along the river was rebuilt. The streets now gently slope down to the river in an area known as the Flats. I couldn't help but think that if Charles Dickens were alive today, he would undoubtedly be living in one of those old brownstones with a shiny black door with a polished knocker. Here is where my past and future were meeting again, and here was where my grandmother lived in 1904. Charles Street cuts a gentle curve through the hill, and the busy street was full of shops and small eateries. I walked up one side of Charles Street and down the other, trying to find a quiet restaurant, and decided on a small pizza place that served wine. I would sit there till my mood changed. The wine surely would help me with my attitude adjustment. But it didn't happen quite like that. I sat and ate and drank two glasses of wine while staring out the window at the people walking their dogs and hurrying home from work. I was debating whether I dare order a third glass when I saw there was a line of people waiting for a table. I knew that the right thing to do was to move on, and so I did, back to the hotel and the surly porter. He looked up at me quickly, then returned again without a word to his computer game. I was shocked by my invisibility. The next morning, I ordered a bagel sandwich and coffee at the corner coffee shop. Then I do what I always do. I opened my laptop and brought up the astrological aspects for the day. The moon was in cancer, ruling over the three H's of home, heart, and hearth, and was in a harmonious aspect, a trine to Jupiter. Jupiter, the planet of luck and opportunity, an ancient benefic in the old astrological texts, was a marker for where we are sometimes graced with opportunities. The moon was all about emotion. Even this fleeting trine aspect between the moon and Jupiter could be good. It was surely not one to waste. And with the sun and optimistic Sagittarius, I was going to seize the moment. The work I had before me was clear. I needed to find a place to live, a Saturnian task. I was responsible, wasn't I? I had Saturnized my relationship with Peter, seeing him in a negative light, and now it remained to be seen how we would play it out. Did he abandon me first, or was I abandoning him? It seemed like he had been drifting away from me first, and I had just now become aware of it. But the moon looked good today, even if it only held hints of possibilities, and Saturn was calling me to new action Abandonment and guilt issues would have to wait. Having the moon in good aspect to Graceville Jupiter was as motivating as the caffeine. With a last bite of bagel and a last sip of coffee, I bolted for the door. It felt good to join the mass of humanity again bustling on the street. It was hard to be lonely with all this busyness around. I looked past the fancy pizza place I had gone to last night and finally came to a window filled with listings of apartments for rent on the hill. The prices were high, but perhaps I could rent a simple studio, no frills. But still, the commitment of a year's lease was daunting. I would have to sign on the dotted line. But Mercury was retrograde, not a good time to make a decision or to sign on the dotted line. Mm. But maybe if I walked around a little more, I could rally enough courage to go inside a real estate office and sit down with a real person, state my case, and tell my story. Yes, that was the idea. But first I needed to gain courage. I'd walk around the block first, but I had worn the wrong shoes. There were They were too delicate, and my feet kept slipping on the ice or stumbling in between the cracks in the brick sidewalks. Everywhere I looked, there were sensible people hurrying off to work half of them talking on cell phones and all the morning people walking their dogs. A few of them looked me in the eye as they passed and smiled. Back when I'd lived here in my 20s, the hill wasn't quite such a well-heeled place, and I, I didn't know if I could really afford my move here now. But memories of love and music were all centered here, and that was what had pulled me back. Neptune, music, no boundaries, illusions, love. Requited or unrequited, it didn't matter. Neptune's addictions and pleasures were sticky. I was nearing the street with the old Swiss-German house when I decided to detour down a side street towards the flats. Better slow down, I kept reminding myself as I nearly fell again on the ice. Giving my feet a rest, I leaned up against the wall. What? It looked like. There was a for rent sign up in the tiny, paned window of my old astrology shop. Could it be? Hobbling over, I peered inside the small room where my shop used to be in those years when I first met Peter. Could this really be up for rent? I felt a shiver run through me. This kind of synchronicity coincidence doesn't happen often in real life. I looked into the small dark room and could see how the walls were chipped and peeling paint was everywhere. I could see the faded outline where my old pictures used to be on the walls. So many years of tenants coming and going had left their mark, but still it had that old world charm. But where was the fireplace? It looked like someone had boarded it over, and it looked like there was more room in the back, but I couldn't see. I remembered the goddess face in the fireplace, I had loved her closed eyes and serene expression. How could someone have covered over that beautiful fireplace? Now she wasn't there to tell me what had happened there in all those years since I had left. But maybe she was still there, underneath all that veneer. And was that a staircase in the back? Was it leading to other rooms above? How expensive could this be? Could I afford it? But this was just a space to work in. How could I pay for an apartment as well? Well, I couldn't. A Libra with a a dilemma. Libra is ruled by Venus, and this was a very attractive Venusian space. But, but, But what was the choice here? Not really any, except for desire. I desired that room. That was what I wanted. No ambivalence. What a welcome feeling. Taking down the phone number on the for rent sign, I walked back to a cappuccino shop shop on the opposite corner and ordered one of those oversized cups full of coffee and chocolate. The young waiter there looked Italian with thick dark hair swept back. He had a large, intricate Celtic tattoo on his arm, and he let his arms gesture freely as he talked. He was working with pleasure, and he gave me a smile and kept returning to ask, If he could get me something else. What a sweet guy, I thought. I could see him watching me as I took out my cell phone and called the realtor's number that I'd written on the scrap of paper. I was expecting an answering machine. I froze. Uh, Yes, of course. Of course I can be there in 30 minutes, I said. And so I waited. The waiter seemed to be watching me. If I had been younger or if I lived here, I would probably know this man, this waiter. We would be friends. We would know some of the same people. And he would tell me stories about his girlfriend or boyfriend. Maybe he would be a client. But it wasn't then. It was now. The waiter returned with the check, and I noticed he signed it. Thank you, Carlos, with a swirl. Maybe he was a calligrapher as well as a waiter. I looked over at him and saw him smiling at me. I left a couple of dollars, and as I made my way towards the door, I simply exchanged a few words about the weather and the coffee. But I let myself look into his eyes just a second too long, and he, who is not unfamiliar with this happening, simply touched my shoulder lightly with his hand and wished me a good day. I had finally been seen by someone. Finally feeling visible, I floated towards the door. I paused for a second, and instead of opening it, I saw a small bulletin board behind it. The board was covered with messages and notices, and I allowed myself to linger there, looking at nothing and everything. Then I reached into my bag, took out a small pen and notepaper, and scribbled on it. It is never too late to be who you might have been. George Eliot. Taking a tack, I attached it to the board and grinned. I was sure now in my intention. Could I really do this? Could I do something so quickly? Could I dare spend money so quickly on me, on this, now? I knew it had to be somewhat out of my price range, but then again I wasn't sure what even that was. The realtor had the key to the office on a pegboard behind him, and in no time he was unlocking the black door and turning the old latch. The room still smelled like fireplace ashes, though there was no fireplace to be seen. I pointed to where the wall was pushed out and where the fireplace had been. There used to be a black marble fireplace here, I said to the realtor, with the imprint of a goddess face in the metal insert. It was stunning. He looked surprised I would know this. Well, I could ask the landlord if this could be uncovered if you agree not to make fires here. His hand knocked against the cheap paneled wood covering. Yes? And what's that? I asked, pointing to a spiral metal staircase that looked like it led up to something. There's a studio apartment upstairs. Come see. I followed the realtor up the steep curling staircase to the second floor. I kept telling myself to calm down, that it was going to be too expensive and that it needed too much work. But there it was, one good-sized room with a kitchen and bath and a bay window that overlooked the street below. I loved it. I loved everything about it, even the peak slant of the ceiling and how it made the sunlight into patterns across the walls. It was a classic garret with a skylight and a tiny slanted alcove that I could turn into a writing nook. It needed work, But I was more than willing. I asked the price and computed the price of two in one. Apartment, working space, and office. Yes, I said immediately. Yes, I said, feeling the guilt of renting this space. It was so delicious. I was afraid to show my excitement. I could feel my face twitch. Can you get the fireplace opened? I'm sure I can. I know the owner. The realtor grinned as if he knew my secrets, my past. I can barely remember walking back with him to his office. He made a couple of phone calls. Our heads were nodding. I was staring out the window at an orange cat walking confidently along on the brick pavement outside. He looked like he knew where he was going. He looked like my cat. And I was signing papers, the lease, the check. How could it all happen so fast? walking back to the hotel. I remember stopping off again and peeking in the window at the space where my new life would be. It would need some work. I could do the cleaning and the painting. Then I treated myself to lunch with wine at the same Italian restaurant and felt like I'd been transported into a romantic fantasy. I let the feeling linger. That night... I called Sophie from the hotel. Peter had already told her about my leaving, and I could hear the pain and coolness in her voice. She had a hard time understanding why I had left and wished I had called sooner, or at least before Peter had told her his vision of the story. Sophie didn't seem to get it. I kept telling her how much I still loved Peter, but that I had to leave. There were long pauses. I asked her about a boyfriend whom she had met at some new church group, but she was reluctant to talk about anything. Why couldn't you have stayed in Newport instead of moving to Boston, she asked. Was it because I'd been talking about moving there myself? It was true that she had talked about moving again now that she had graduated college, but she was still job searching and living with her friends, and I had been trying to detach myself from being on her case too much. With a part-time job and new friends in Providence, she was having a new beginning. I assured her that my decision to come to Boston had nothing to do with her, but that I, too, needed a new beginning. I just want you to try to understand. I'm not asking you to take sides, but just to allow Peter and I to do what we have to do. All right, I think that's where I'm going to start Stopping here uh, just before the end of chapter two. Uh, so this is from my book, Saturn Returns, The Private Papers of a Reluctant Astrologer that is on Amazon. And it you can probably find it most easily through my website, which is northnodeastrology.com. And you can also find information there about astrology readings which is essentially my day job and uh, there are a lot of free articles to read so i hope you enjoy today's reading and i hope you'll look into that book bye for now